Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. We've been doing an overview of the Bible, and we've reached a bridge of sorts in the story, and this is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you might know that about 400 years passed between the Old and New Testaments, and that means there were some major changes in the two Testaments so that they look pretty different. In fact, this is one of those points that's a little embarrassing for me as someone who grew up in the church, but I didn't make the connection that the Israelites in the Old Testament were the same people or people group as the Jews in the New Testament until I went to Bible college and did a survey class of the Bible. So I want to give you an idea of how the changes happened that took place. So let's look first at where we left the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were exiled into foreign lands. First, the northern kingdom of Israel was overtaken by Assyria and taken into captivity. We've talked about that. Then Assyria was defeated by Babylon, who also defeated the southern kingdom of Judah. And then Babylon was defeated by Persia. So we've talked about that also. And it was a couple different kings of Persia who began to allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem in Judah. And that's what we talked about last time. So when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, they returned really in both hope and sadness. They had hoped that the promise would be fulfilled, that they would have a king on the throne, a people, a large people group, and land. But instead, they were punished for their disobedience by exile, and they're returning to the land in humility. They're few in number. They have to spend time and energy rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. They have to reestablish the priesthood and relearn the law. So there's a lot for them to be done. And on top of it all, they're still waiting, still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled and Part of that is waiting for the one, the one who will come to rescue them finally from the sin problem. So fast forward to the New Testament and we see a different picture. So the Jews are still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. They're waiting for the one and waiting for a king to be on the throne. They've got people, a people group again and the land back. So but other than that, things look different. We have the temple in full working order. But besides the temple, there's synagogues. There are priests at the temple, but there's also scribes, rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees. And these are all people who are seeking to follow the law and to teach the law to people in Israel in different ways. So, and we also see Israel as a full country, not just the city of Jerusalem. So how did we get here? How did we get from coming back in humility, rebuilding to fully working religious system. Well, the 400 years between the Old and New Testament has a lot of both political and religious changes that happened. So let's dive in. So we talked about the Persian Empire, which allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem. 
But it's important to remember that not all the Jews went back to Israel. In fact, the story of Esther takes place around this time, and Esther takes place in Susa, which is the capital of Persia. So it's really significant to our story, to looking at the whole story of the Bible about the story of Esther, is that it shows how God cared for his people even when they were outside of Israel. He didn't forget them during exile. And even those who never returned were not forgotten by God. But if we return to the Persian Empire, the empire grew and grew large enough that the king slowly lost his ability to govern such a large area. And that really caused the empire to weaken in power. And at the same time, there was a young general slowly rising to power in Greece, and that was Alexander the Great. So eventually, Alexander the Great overthrew the Persian Empire and introduced the Greek Empire. Now, we know a lot about Greece and the Greek Empire because so much happened during that time. There was this intellectual revolution in philosophy, mathematics, and science. We owe a lot of what we know now in those fields to this foundation of people like Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, and other people like that. There were also advancements in art, in literature, architecture, and elements of the Greek Empire or Greek culture spread all throughout different areas of the Greek Empire. So that means that Greek culture definitely had an influence on the Jews also. So some of the major influences were on the Jews who lived outside of Israel, because as Greek culture spread, one of the big things that spread with it was the language. So soon, Greek became the lingua franca, the language of the world. And for those living outside of Israel who didn't have the Hebrew influence, they began to lose Hebrew as their main language and to speak the languages in those areas, but Greek as well. Greek probably as a second language for some of them. So how that works usually is that, you know, the grandparents, they, they would speak only Hebrew. Their children would learn Hebrew and the language of the area. Um, and then their children would probably just learn the language of that area. And then um, it kind of went from there. So it doesn't take too many generations to really lose that language ability. So the problem with this was that they could no longer read the Hebrew scriptures. So it was during this time that a group of Jewish scholars, and it's thought to be 70 scholars, gathered together and decided to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. So this is exciting because it's the very first Bible translation, and it is called the Septuagint because of those 70 scholars, so 70 for Septuagint, um, and this has been a very important translation throughout history. It is the foundation, even for a lot of the quotations you see in the New Testament, a lot of them actually came from the Septuagint. So another problem that the scattered Jews had, so those who, were, who didn't return to Israel but were still scattered through other places, was that they couldn't necessarily get back to the temple to worship and to hear the scriptures read. So the, even though the temple was rebuilt, they couldn't necessarily get back there. And they needed a place to gather for worship and to discuss scriptures and learn together. So it's possible that it's during this time, it's not known exactly, but possible that this is when synagogues developed. 
So syn, S-Y-N, at the beginning there, is the Greek prefix that kind of means together. So you can see that Greek influence, and basically it was a place of coming together, come together to learn, to worship together, to read scripture. Now, if we look back to the Jews that returned to Israel, we also have a third development. So you can imagine that for the Jews in Israel, there was a question of, should we adopt Greek culture or should we resist it? And there were some groups that did resist it and some groups that did adopt it more. And so this caused the development of one particular sect of Judaism, and that was the Sadducees. So that name probably sounds familiar to you because Jesus comes into conflict with the Sadducees in the New Testament. So the Sadducees were made up of people who traced their lineage to Levi. So if you remember, the Levites in the Old Testament had the job of maintaining the temple. So the Sadducees continued with that role. They helped maintain the temple and they had some other roles in society as well as far as um, politically governing and that kind of thing. But the Sadducees were some that said that it was good to accept this influence of Hellenistic or Greek culture. And one of the results was that they became wealthy, so they had more wealth and more affluence. So this group also only believed in the Torah or the law. And so they didn't, they didn't listen to the other writings or the prophets or, or even other things that were written to help interpret the law at a later time. So that'll come into play later when we meet another group. Another group begins to develop called the Pharisees. And so you've heard that name too, but we'll talk about that development in a minute. So all of that happened during the Greek, Greek Empire. But, of course, the Greek Empire did not last forever. Alexander the Great died, and he didn't leave an heir. And as you can imagine, that caused some conflict. <laughs> so the kingdom ended up being divided among his satraps. They were like the second in command. But it wasn't an easy process, and there were wars. And what emerged was three different kingdoms. And Israel, again, became a point of conflict between two of those kingdoms. And that culminated with one of the kings of the Seleucid kingdom coming in and sacking Jerusalem, stealing all of the sacred objects from the temple, desecrating the altar. He refused to let the Jews follow the laws of the Torah. And all of this was too much for the Jews. It incited them to rebellion and to revolt. And the Jews managed to win their independence. And that was in 169 BC, so about 169 years before Christ. The stories of their revolt and the kingdom that followed, called the Hasmonean Kingdom, are found in the Apocrypha. And those are the books found in the Catholic Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that might make you wonder about the Apocrypha and why it's in the Catholic Bible, but not the Protestant Bible. And that's kind of a question for another time. So if you'd like, I talked about it a little bit in my podcast on the canon, the development of the canon, or which books were chosen to be in the Bible. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go back and listen to that podcast. But in either case, what followed was about 100 years of independence for Israel. So as you can imagine, there were 
more developments that happened for Israel during that time. So there were still needs for Jews that couldn't necessarily come to the temple. For those in Israel who couldn't make the journey or just couldn't make it that often, as well as for those outside of Israel, and that was the development of the roles of scribes and rabbis. So there weren't enough priests for everyone to have a priest at their synagogue. So we talked about synagogues developing as a way to learn the scriptures and hear them read, um, but they needed somebody to come in and teach them. And so the scribes were experts in Jewish law. They studied the law and the rabbis were teachers. They, that role kind of developed to help people learn and understand the scriptures. So during this Hasmonean kingdom, you have the scribes and the rabbis kind of developing as a role in society. It's also during this time that the Pharisees came into play. So like the Sadducees, the Pharisees were another sect of Jews who were actually defined by their dedication to purity and following the law. So we said the Sadducees only followed the Torah. But the Pharisees not only followed the Torah, there's other parts of the scripture called the writings and the prophets. And so the Pharisees also followed those, but they also developed more laws and they wrote more things. And these are called hedge laws. So they were so interested in remaining pure that they didn't even want to get close to breaking God's law. So they created even stricter laws. So these formed a boundary around the law or like a hedge around the law. And so if you didn't want to break the law, if you just followed these even more strict rules, you wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. And of course, we know about the Pharisees because Jesus often came into conflict with them during the New Testament. So this Jewish independence lasted for about 100 years. And through that time, there was still conflict with the other nations, the, the Seleucids specifically. So finally, Israel made an alliance with Rome in order to ward off the Seleucids. And you can guess how that went. <laughs> Rome was never content with alliances. And so eventually, Rome took over Israel and brought them under Roman rule. And that was in about 69 B.C., and shortly after that, that we get the New Testament, where the New Testament picks up the story. But before we move on to the New Testament, there's one other development that happened through this time that was very significant. And that is that wherever the Jews ended up during this time, so we see the Jews being scattered, not just in Israel, but in other places as well. And wherever they went, they brought their faith with them. So obviously, as we've talked about, this led to the need for synagogues and for rabbis. But the other thing that it did was that it brought the Jewish faith to the Gentile nations. So wherever the Jews went, they told people about their faith. And there were people among those they went to that decided to become Jews. They decided to follow the law, follow Jewish rituals and practices. But there were other people as well who heard about the God of the Jews and were interested but just said, I don't know if we can follow all these Jewish laws. And so they followed God, but they didn't necessarily follow the law, and they became known as God-fearers. So here's the result. The Gentile world was being prepared for the Messiah to come. Not only were the Jews waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, but the Gentiles were as well. 
And they were asking how to solve the sin problem. Did it have to come through following the law? It was such a hard requirement. So was there another way? Was there a way of grace? So we have the Jewish world waiting for the one who will save them from their sin. We have the Gentile world also starting to say, we see this and we are waiting for another way to reach God. So this is how we move from the Israelites in the Old Testament, returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding, relearning, and then waiting in sadness and in hope. How we move from that to the Jews of the New Testament, where we have Pharisees and Sadducees arguing over how to follow the law. We have rabbis teaching in synagogues in Israel and in other places. And how we move to a world that is ready for God to reveal his answer, his solution to the sin problem. So the world is now ready for the Messiah, the chosen one, to come and redeem them from sin. And that is where we will go next time. So thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll join us again next time on Building a Bridge to God's Word. 